Hello there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host. Uh, we got a pretty big one to kind of unpack tonight. We'll be talking about UFC 271 and previewing next week's card, which is, yeesh. Uh, lost the main event. I uh, lost the main event to that card. It just got bumped to uh, another event. It's not... Not an injury-related thing. We'll talk about it when we talk about that card. It's it's not great, though. So, we'll be doing a... I, I imagine the bulk of this episode will be discussing UFC 271. Uh, if you could please interact with the podcast just a little bit. Like, comment, subscribe. Uh, star rating, written review, anything that... Whatever your podcast platform of choice happens to allow you to do, please do something like that to help us out here. Uh, that helps service the algorithm, and that you know, the algorithm's going to control everything in another, like, ten years anyway. So we may as well get used to appeasing that particular eldritch monstrosity now. Uh, if you've done all of that, I thank you very, very much. And if you would please, in that case, share. Whatever your social media platform of choice happens to be, or if you just know someone who you think would be interested in the show, please tell them about it. That all helps a a lot to continue building this particular show. Uh, so thank you. I again, I deeply appreciate all of it. I, I mentioned a little bit on the agenda: UFC 271, UFC and ESPN Plus 58. That's kind of it. We haven't had a whole lot of news that isn't related to those two events. So uh, we're recording this a little bit earlier today because today is the Super Bowl here in the United States, and I have a family tradition where we all gather and watch. I'm I'm not a football guy necessarily, but it's tradition and, you know, it's free food and it's family and it's a good time. So what am I going to do? Complain about that? How dare I? So we're going a little bit earlier. So news might break later in the evening and we'll just have to wait until next week, I guess. That's just going to be one of those things. So that is the agenda for this evening. All right, let's go ahead and get into UFC 271. Your main event. I was very excited for this fight, and I said I expected this to look nothing like their first fight, and it largely didn't. There were some similarities that still played out, but largely a very, very different fight. Uh, not the most exciting fight as a general rule. Um... Both men, I think, made some very calculated decisions related to that, Whitaker in particular. Uh, ultimately, however, Israel Adesanya retains the middleweight title. He defeats Whitaker via unanimous decision. 248-47s, 149-46. Personally, I was 48-47 Adesanya. I gave Whitaker the second, which I think is defensible, and I gave him the fifth, which was easily. The only two rounds in this fight that are easy to score are rounds one and five. One is Adesanya's pretty much walking away. Five is not to the same degree walking away, but it was, five was handily Whitaker's. Leaving rounds two, three, and four to decide the fate of this fight. I... The official scorecards break it down as follows, and one of these I find somewhat indefensible, but... Uh, referee Jacob Montalvo went rounds 1, 2, and 3 for Adesanya, 4 and 5 for Whitaker, as did Judge Doug Crosby. Mike Beltron 
who was 49-46, Adesanya only gave Whitaker the second, and I I can't agree with giving Adesanya the fifth. That, to me, seems like a very... Uh, as I sit here, that does not seem a very defensible round. Now, even if he gave Whitaker the fifth, as he should have, Adesanya still wins. Uh, that scorecard would have been identical to mine, actually. And... Before I talk about some of the, the specifics of this, because uh, some of this I remember very well, some of it not quite as much, and this is a fight that I've seen a lot of, I think 48-47 for either man is a defensible position. I don't agree with giving it to Whitaker. However, I I, f I don't find a 48-47 for Whitaker to be outside the realm of reasonable possibility. Uh, I don't find 49-46 Adesanya to be outside the realm of reasonable possibility. You can nitpick which round. Again, with Beltron giving Adesanya the fifth, just I don't understand that. But if you swap giving him the fifth and giving him the second... I find that perfectly defensible, because that's very nearly what my card was. I wasn't sure who to give the second round to when it was over. I uh, That was a, was a close round. Don't know what else to tell you. Um, round four was pretty close as well. So, uh, I don't... I I think the, the 40... There's not a big crowd that's saying this, but there is a bit of a 49-46 Whitaker contingent. Which would mean he won every round after the first, and I, I no, I, I can't get on board with that. I just can't. Uh, yet a lot of people giving, uh, giving Whitaker rounds three, four, and five. As I said, I don't agree, but I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that that's the worst scorecard imaginable. I mean, even compared to some of the other scorecards on this same event, that would be more defensible than some of them, and we'll get to that, I promise. Here's kind of the problem with this fight. When it, com when it comes only to scoring, I'm not going to delve too much into the rest of this, but if we're talking about scoring, first of all, we're in Texas, so you have to use the... I believe Texas primarily uses the older scoring criteria, which makes 10-8s harder to get, which played into... Didn't play into any of the decisions, but there's a lot of people, especially in the media, uh, who were doing this on Twitter, who were using the newer scoring criteria when they were tweeting out their scores round by round. I'm not saying that's not helpful. I am saying if you're... It's useful to keep in mind the distinction, but it's somewhat unhelpful if your scorecard could not reasonably be what takes place, uh, one that is handed in in some respects. Which is just to say, like, there was one round, there was one fight in particular, it was on the prelims, that I gave one of the fighters a 10-8 in, I think, the second round. I thought he won it by enough. When it was over and there was no 10-8 handed to him, I went, oh, right. Older scoring system. Under the older scoring system, he did not earn a 10-8. And that's an important thing to keep in mind. Why do I bring this up here when there was never anything close to a 10-8 round? 
maybe the first if you wanted to be super liberal with your 10-8s under the newest scoring criteria, but even then. Uh, I bring that up because forward pressure can be a mitigating factor when all else is is even. Now, this is way down on the criteria, super low down. But all other things being even, that's kind of your tiebreaker. It's kind of how you should think about aggression and octagon control and those like bottom tier criteria for scoring. That can be important if a judge in real time is having trouble parsing out everything else that goes on. You know, why did John Jones beat Dominic Reyes on the scorecards? In part because the big swing round, I tend to think, I believe it was round three, uh, John got it more because he did a lot of kind of forward pressure. It didn't amount to a whole lot, but in a tight round with everything else being closer to even, and I'm not saying that round was, I'm saying if you want to understand how that can happen, that's part of it. Adesanya was far and away the more forward pressure-based fighter uh, between these two for this fight. Like, easily, easily. And if there's not really anything else to fully differentiate these two, that becomes your tiebreaker. I don't agree that everything else was even in all the rounds to the point where that became the biggest factor. I don't. However... I wasn't cage side, and that makes a difference. I don't know the full ins and outs of the scoring criteria the judges were told to use, and that definitely makes a difference. So, that, that's kind of where we are in this. The style that these two gentlemen chose to employ also is always... I don't care what scoring criteria you use in MMA, whether you use round-by-round round in the 10-point must, whether you use the older version or the newer version of scoring, whether you use the pride rules or the one rules, I don't care. At the moment, this seems to be irrespective of judging criteria and scoring system. When you get the styles, and this is not unique to Whitaker and Adesanya, we've seen this play out before with other fighters. When you get these two stylistic mat uh, fighting each other, no one agrees. And in this case, what that means is you had Whitaker backing up, landing some jabs here and there, and getting a couple of takedowns. He had he had takedowns, I think, in every round after the first. I have to double check that. But the the problem becomes he gets a takedown, but it doesn't lead to anything. Now this is not that's not a knock on Whitaker in the sense that his takedowns never lead to anything. He has demonstrated he can take people down and control them and use top position, look at his previous three fights. He does it a lot there. It's just how they matched up here. So he's getting Izzy's butt to the canvas, but he's not holding him. He's getting him to the fence, but he's not really able to do a whole lot with it. Adesanya is constantly scrambling back up. So how... So you've got a couple of jabs and some takedowns, but you back up most of the time, and the other guy's offense is limited a bit more to... Jabs and leg kicks. More leg kicks than jabs, because that's how Adesanya chooses to, chose to fight here. And this is what we have kind of round over round. Meaning that how do you weigh these things becomes a very serious question. 
And like I said, I don't care what rule set you want to use here for your scoring. Have this same fight under the, you know, under pride scoring rules, and you're still going to get people who don't agree. A hundred percent. Have this. That's just how it is. And it's uh, it, it's just one of those things. Now, as for the fight itself, first round, man. I thought for sure after that first round ended, this was not going to go long. Uh, Adesanya chopped at Whitaker's leg. He has an interesting kicking philosophy, I think, with Adesanya. When he kicks to the inside, especially if he's opposite stance, and Adesanya does a lot of stance switching, so this becomes relevant if he is able to go power leg to the inside. I think most of his inside leg kicks go to the thigh. Uh, but his outside leg kicks are a lot more to the calf. Uh, and he spent that first round chewing up Whitaker's lead leg. He dropped him with a left hand near the uh, near the end of the round. Not not at the end, but kind of last, I don't know, 90 seconds, I think, give or take. Uh, I don't remember the exact timestamp, but somewhere in that vicinity. Drops him with a straight left, and so it was a... That's the easiest round of this fight to score by a mile. Uh, by a mile. And you just thought, okay, here we go again. And credit to Whitaker, he made a couple of adjustments. He changed his stance just a little bit. He stopped being as heavy on his lead leg. Uh, so Adesanya's leg kicks as the fight wore on slowed down. Some of that was the threat of the takedown. Some of it was uh, just Whitaker looking to counter a bit more off the ja- uh, off of the leg kick. And he still landed some, and he messed Whitaker's leg up. Uh, he had a couple of really hard ones as that fight wore on. Uh, Izzy had some gnarly... He's not been a big body kicker, I think, prior... Uh, throughout the rest of his UFC run. He, he's landed some. But he landed, like, three or four really solid left legs to the body out of the southpaw stance. Uh, Whitaker was rightfully concerned about the head kick, so he was able to sneak those in kind of under the elbow and... You could see it, man. He marked up Whitaker's torso. Uh, th- those were pretty... Those were solid kicks. Uh, for Whitaker's part, the wrestling played a pretty big role in his offense, and any and a lot of the success he had, that's kind of where he found it. Um, his jab, once he started kind of doubling up on it, had some impact. He had decent timing on it, too. Uh, especially, again, kind of once he started... Uh, getting a better read on Adesanya, he was able to get him to kind of lean back because Adesanya will do that. He'll, he's got such good, such a long torso, if he feels comfortable with where his feet are, he'll just lean back. And if Whitaker du- would double up on that, he'd kind of catch him as he was leaning back. Uh, really nice work. He didn't throw with the right hand a lot, and commentary kind of got on his case about as the fight wore on. Not in, not in a, you know, what what the heck is he doing kind of thing, but more in a, he's only fighting with the left hand, and this is kind of limiting what he's able to do effectively, and Whitaker's corner was asking him to throw the right as well. He just, I think there were a couple of things going on here that, uh, that played into that. One is Adesanya doing a lot of southpaw. Fighting, fighting opposite stances like that does kind of lengthen uh, how far that backhand has to travel. So 
and this has been talked I've talked about this before plenty of other people have talked about it it's easier to see coming it takes a hair longer to get there and if you watch Adesanya's movement he was always exiting to his own right so he's because one of Whit- one of the big Whitaker combinations he comes forward jab or double jab throw the right hand and throw the right head kick to follow uh, that's something he does all the time uh, in every fight, he throws that combination at some point at least once. And it has done good work for him. I'm not knocking on the guy for it. But Adesanya was constantly able to plant and pivot away from the power side of Whitaker. And I think Whitaker just got a feel pretty early that that right hand wasn't much of a weapon for him. And Adesanya's movement and overall positioning diffused that very handily. Uh the wrestling was interesting. Um, anytime they got to the... F- this has been noted by plenty of other people besides me, so I'm just repeating this. Israel Adesanya's takedown defense, when he's able to use the, the, the cage, the barrier, in that space, that man is really good. I mean, Jan Blachowicz is a much larger man than he is, and he struggled to get Adesanya down in that position. Um... Whitaker struggled here to really kind of find a lot of success in the fence wrestling. In open space, it's a little bit different, and I've... I'm not entirely... I'm not completely convinced of my own correctness about what I'm about to say, so if I'm way off, just kind of be gentle. I tend to think that takedowns against the fence... If you're defending them, so hypothetically, if you're Israel Adesanya here, your fence wrestling is more about what you do than about what your opponent does in a lot of ways. Wrestling in open space is a bit more about your opponent. Uh, which might seem really weird, but I mean, we, we can reverse this as well. You know, if, if you're trying to take someone down against the fence, you have to be a lot more mindful about the defensive tactics they're employing. How is their base spread? Where Are they down blocking? Are they pummeling? Are they trying to break your posture and frame? Are they looking to spin out? Are they looking to maybe counter with their own trip? What are your feet doing? It's not that wrestling in open space doesn't have a lot of serious considerations. The barrier just... Uh, it changes everything. That's that, that's been talked to death. Uh, but you just you can focus a lot more on the specifics when you're against the barrier, and you can focus a lot more on what you're doing, very specifically relative to what your opponent's doing. And it that's why not to go off on too much of a tangent here. That's actually what made what uh, you know Khabib's style so impressive. Everyone wants to wrestle on the fence now because they've figured out that it, how to make it work for them. And it is really easier to do defensively, right? It's easier to defend there because there is the barrier. It's easier to do because you can focus on your technique, how you stuff the head, how you down block, how you grip break, all these things. And what your opponent does, it's not that it doesn't matter. That's a, that would be a wild mis- misread. 
but it takes a lot of the focus off of having to read what they're doing. Whereas in space, you do have to read what they're doing in a different way. Timing is kind of everything when you're going for takedowns in open space, and this relates to one of the other featured bouts. Uh, it, it plays in there as well with, between Brunson and Cannoneer. There was a takedown in the, can't remember if it was the 4th or the 5th, where Whitaker got the timing right. They were in open space, Adesanya threw a lead hook, Whitaker timed it right, ducked under, double leg. His cleanest takedown of the fight. Uh, Adesanya immediately scrambled, of course, but that that's kind of the difference. That's why there are some people who are so much better against the fence, not just because of the, the barrier changes some of the tactics you have to use, but because I think it's easier to focus on what you have to do in that space than have to try and read your opponent and whether or not they're going to change levels, things like that. And to be clear, the reverse is true just a little bit as well, because if you have someone against the fence, you don't have to worry about uh, eating a knee or biting too hard on a feint. There's a pros, again, there's a lot of pros and cons there, but I tend to think that's why, especially with some of the newer, I hate to call Izzy a newer fighter, because that's a that's only true relative to how long some pe some people like me have been around watching. As fence wrestling has become more important, I think some of the basics of defending a takedown in the open space have changed a little bit. Look at how many people now, when they start being taken down, if it's a double leg, they'll sprawl, but if the other guy keeps driving, they don't look to spiral away. They just move to the fence. Look at how many people get grabbed with single legs, and they kind of hop themselves to the fence. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in open space that they just rather not deal with. And I think there's a bit of that going on here. Not to mention, you know, Adesanya's uh, very, very decorated, uh, uh, very experienced, rather, you know, kickboxer and everything. So learning how to wrestle against a barrier is probably a better use of his time than learning a ton of open space wrestling. So, uh, which he's still getting better at, by the way. He stopped a couple of takedowns in open space here very impressively. So, uh, but I, yeah, that, so that was just kind of my thought on that. Like, why, why is that happening? Because it's not just you know, Israel Adesanya. Uh, there's, especially if you get like heavyweight, this happens all the time. Like, guys are good against the fence, but if you catch them in space, they don't, not nearly as good. And some of that's timing. Like, if you can time a good takedown in open space, it looks great. Uh, and obviously not having the fence there gives them less things to work with. But guys get sloppier about it and uh, just can't... Uh, over, I would be curious, and I don't know that this statistic exists, but if you look at the number of takedown attempts over the last, say, four years or so in MMA, that... A takedown is attempted, not completed, but does wind up in a clinch on the fence. You know, the last four years relative to the previous four years or so. Or, you know, go back a little bit further. It, it's been an interesting thing to watch develop across the sport. So, uh, all that is to say, 
Uh, Adesanya was doing a good job of defending the wrestling, but Whitaker was able to score with his takedowns. They just didn't lead to a whole lot. And that does muddy the waters here. Um, I will stand by my scorecard overall. Uh, but this is also the kind of fight that I think is going to take at least another viewing, if not more, to really get a feel for what happened, why it happened that way, and what the and what all these things ultimately had to do with uh, the outcome of the fight. I think Whitaker's lead leg being a little bit chewed up hurt him. Um, I tend to think that Adesanya got away from the leg kicks. I which you know, may or may not have been a wise decision. Uh, Whitaker had a better feel for the timing, I think, in this fight. Uh, this was a this was a close fight by pretty much any reasonable standard. Uh, I don't know that we'll get a third after the fight. Whitaker said, "Yeah, we're gonna fight again. I'm gonna make I'm gonna smash everyone else they put in front of me, and I'm gonna make it happen." Uh, I mean, God bless him. You know, I, that man is... Uh, I understand that Adesanya doesn't like Whitaker, and if you're having to fight the guy, you know, having a degree of animosity might be helpful, depending on your mindset. I'm, that's a personal thing, and what helps you compete the best. But at the post-fight presser, um, Whitaker... He was asked a weird question by uh, Booker T, former professional wrestler... Because uh, this this took place in Houston, he's from Houston. Uh, he was there. I don't know what I don't know what outlet he might have been with, uh, or if he was there as himself, or he has his own podcast or what. I don't know. But he was there. He was uh, asking questions at the post-fight presser. In fact, Adesanya recognized him. He was answering someone else's question. He was like, "Oh, hey, is that Booker T?" And then played around with the famous kind of five-time promo a little bit. Uh, Booker asked. Whitaker, you know, you, you said you were gutted, and he he said he was gutted, but, you know, you're still here, and you're still smiling, and how can you do that? And he's not the only fighter that does it. It's a pretty good question from Booker T, especially relative to Whitaker. And Whitaker gave, I thought, a very kind of revealing and very even useful, to the extent that you want to call these useful, answer, that... You know, his goal was not to win. His goal every time he fights is to give everything that he has to give. Because normally that means he wins. I mean, and to be clear about that, just point briefly, the what Robert Whitaker has only lost at middleweight to Israel Adesanya. He's beaten everybody else. And frankly, I favor him over everybody else. <laughs> but he, he said, that was my goal. My goal is to give, to leave everything in the in the cage. When the fight's over, I don't think, I don't look back and go, I, there was, I had something left to give. Everything that I have, I put out there, and you know, 90 against everyone else in the division thus far, that has meant heat victory. But he he doesn't do it to win. He does this to provide for his family. You know, to keep the lights on, to keep food on the table, and he did that here. And that's a very, and that's a very kind of useful life lesson for people to take. I'm not one of these people who's going to say that wins and losses don't matter, 
people who say that are trying to make a salient point in a very indelicate fashion. Usually because they're talking to small children. And you're trying to un trying to get them to understand that winning and losing is not the most important thing. And and that's that is very true. Uh, and so Whitaker, uh, I don't know what he does from here. Um, some of that's going to be related to what Israel Adesanya does or wants to do next. Um, as for Adesanya, Matt, what are you going to say about that guy? Can we, can we just take half a second here? That man is undefeated at middleweight. Straight undefeated. His only loss in MMA was an attempt at 205 uh, to fight Jan Blachowicz for the belt. Nobody at middleweight has stopped it, has been able to beat him. Frankly, most of them haven't even come all that close. Uh, and he has beaten several of these top guys more than once. He's beaten Vittori twice. He's beaten Whitaker twice. He smashed Paulo Costa. Can we just... Not to go too deep into the Israel Adesanya appreciation moment here, but we're talking about the guy. His UFC record is only at middleweight. So again, lost, he lost that fight with Jan Blachowicz. But stops Rob Wilkinson, beats Marvin Vittori, beats Brad Tavares, stops Derek Brunson, beats Anderson Silva, beats Calvin Gastelum, stops Robert Whitaker, beats Yoel Romero, stops Paulo Costa, beats Vittori again, and beats Whitaker again. Let that sink in for just a minute. That's in, that is an exceptional, exceptional level of accomplishment that's one of the best runs at middleweight ever i think not just middleweight like takes take any one single journey through a single division right that's maybe the that's that's right up there with the best you could you know, maybe anderson silva Silva had losses before he got to the UFC. Uh, somewhat comparable with John Jones at light heavyweight. Uh, you know, uh, GSP at welterweight. Khabib. I mean, GSP had the loss, though. Demetrius Johnson eventually had a loss at flyweight. Uh, had the draw with uh, Ian McCall early as well. I mean, those are very, very minor blemishes, but... We're talking about an Israel Adesanya guy, again, undefeated in his weight class. And he's beaten some of the best guys in that division, some of them more than once, including the second best guy in the division, in Whitaker, who is himself... Uh, somebody was doing the Mount Rushmore thing for middleweights the other day, and not putting Robert Whitaker on that, I think, is a mistake. Whitaker gets a little bit overshadowed, partially by Adesanya, partially by a, a really unfortunate statistic for him. You know, he never had a successful title defense. And 
his one attempted title defense that was uh, before the Adesanya fight wasn't his fault. Yoel Romero missed weight. Uh, yeah. And that, that really sucks. That just really sucks. So he gets a little bit overshadowed, but if you look at his, I believe Whitaker's like 11 and 2 now at middleweight. He's got the same number of wins in that division that Chris Weidman has, with none of the terrible setbacks. Uh, it, uh, I think we, I think Whitaker's career at middleweight will is going underappreciated at the moment. Just my takeaway there. But you look at a guy who's undefeated in his weight class. He is, if you again, if you exclude the fight at, at 205, his record is 22 and 0. Because every other fight he's had has been at middleweight. You don't see that very often, do you? How many guys do you know who? Just don't have... There's so many ways to lose in MMA. So many. How many guys do you see who don't stumble at the beginning regional level, who don't stumble in their first couple of UFC fights, who don't stumble on the way to the title, who don't stumble with the title? You got like him and Khabib. I mean, even Usman, who I think very highly of. Usman had that stumble on the regional scene. He's on a great run right now. In fact, he... Uh, dude, Kamaru Usman's campaign at welterweight uh, in the UFC is the stuff of nightmares for everyone that has to face him. Like, seriously. But it's, ra- it's rare that somebody's able to do this. It's very rare. Uh, as for what's next, logically, it would be Jared Cannonier. Kenanir won uh, a fight earlier on the card. We'll talk about that one in just a minute or two. Uh, but he's the he's one of the few guys left in kind of the top part of the division that hasn't already fought Adesanya. Adesanya's been talking about wanting to fight him for a while, so that's probably the fight to make. But yeah, I, I'm going to have to watch this fight a, at least one more time to really kind of get a handle on it, but... I enjoyed it. Not the great... Again, this is not going on my fight of the year list by any stretch of the imagination, but I I was I was uh, interested in this fight from start to finish. I don't know if these two are going to fight again. Whitaker might try to force the issue. There's some rumblings kind of going around that Adesanya might be going... Uh, might look at a more permanent move to light heavyweight. Uh, I don't know how true that is. It's a lot of speculation and whatnot at this point. And certainly at the moment, his focus is fighting. I think he said he wanted to fight in June. Uh, And Cannoneer would be the most logical contender. So that's certainly on the immediate horizon. But put it this way. If you told me that this time next year... Adesanya had vacated the light he- the middleweight title to fight at light heavyweight. I would not be surprised. So, now, again, if that whether or not that comes to fruition, who knows? 
there's still a tremendous amount of variables that are going on, so we'll have to wait and see. But Adesanya's, uh, keeps on rolling, man. Keeps on rolling. All right, co-main event. Tied to Ivasa defeats Derek Lewis via knockout. He hit him with an el a couple of elbows that just put him out cold 140 of the second. Um, Derek Lewis added some takedowns to his game for this fight. And I think it's unfortunate that he ran into Tui Vasa here because he hit a, nice, a couple of really nice takedowns, actually. Uh, they did a lot of clinch fighting. And he unleashed some pretty hellacious punches to the head while Tui Vasa was wall walking kind of later in the, in the first. And I'm watching him land these things and just kind of like, man, if this was anyone but tied to Ivasa, who's got a heck of a chin, you might have ended it right there. If Lewis fight chooses to mix in some of those kinds of takedowns and offensive flurries, that is terrifying. That, that would be a genuinely scary wrinkle to add to his game long term. He just happened to run into one of the few people on the planet right now who could just kind of take his punches, get back up, and swing at him. Uh, the clinch fighting here favored Tuivasa pretty... That's where everything started going wrong. Um, we, we get a lot of clinch fighting in the first. Some takedowns from Lewis. Lewis has the first round uh, pretty handily. Second round... Tuivasa kind of gets him into another... He landed some leg kicks, and I think this went unnoticed by the broadcast. But Tuivasa landed a couple of leg kicks, and it looked like Lewis started trying to protect that leg, the lead leg. He started squaring up a bit more. Now, he still threw it. I threw a couple of kicks with it, but I... He started reacting badly when Tuivasa would show the kick. And that's kind of my tell for that. Uh, he... He started squaring up a bit to try and kind of get that leg out of the kicking lane. Uh, Tuivasa got a clinch and was good about framing and then landing elbows in the clinch. And he landed one that hurt Lewis. He kept swinging. He kind of shoved him into uh, shoved him into the fence at one point. And as he was coming back, left hand wraps the head, right elbow, boom. Uh and Lewis just face-planted. I mean, he was done. Uh, I don't even really know. Um, I, I picked Lewis here. Uh, one of the things I mentioned, and I think this is still true, people who are willing to strike with Derek Lewis have more success against him than people who just try to wrestle him. Uh, I maintain that, and I think the num I think the numbers and the results bear that out. You can't be stupid about it, but uh, that's because Derek Lewis hits very, very hard. But just trying to wrestle him, that's eh, that's kind of a fool's errand at this point. Unless you're, you know, Daniel Cormier. Like, you've got to be a seriously talented wrestler to be able to avoid the punches that Derek Lewis swings at you. Especially if he's worried about your takedowns. Like, he's pretty darn good about getting to the fence and being able to work from that position or you know, wall walking. 
And the more you tire yourself out trying to wrestle him, the more susceptible you are to his punch, especially if he reads you coming in. I mean, the uppercut he knocked out Curtis Blades with was, oof. That was a scary punch, man. That was a beautiful uppercut. Uh, Tuivasa, able and willing to strike with him under slightly different conditions. Uh, the clinch striking was going Tuivasa's way the whole time. Lewis peppering in the takedowns, I think, surprised Tuivasa more than anything. And that led to some of his success there. Uh, but if Tuivasa... Man, I... It's hard to really put this in context. Tuivasa had a three-fight losing streak at one point in the UFC. And you kind of thought maybe you'd found his ceiling. Then he goes on the run he's currently on, and some of the people he was beating, okay, they're not... weren't really top-of-the-food-chain guys at heavyweight, but Derek Lewis is. Whatever you want to say about his skill set and whatnot, and I've certainly got things to say about it, he was the number three contender, and I don't think... Un I think that was probably a fair ranking for him in the UFC. Uh, Tuivasa just put that guy to sleep. I don't, I don't quite know what Tuivasa's ceiling is. He hasn't had a con faced a consistent level of top-shelf opposition. He's going to get that now. That's, there's not a whole lot of going back from this one. Uh, him against someone like... Uh, him, him against Cyril Gaon is a real possibility. I don't know that he's going to straight-up take Derek Lewis's number three spot, but he's going to be very high up there. Uh, what are the heavyweight rankings at the moment? Now, obviously, when I go through these, these do not ref these have not been updated uh, post event. So, at the moment it's you know, he was number three behind Gon and Miocic, Blades at four, Volkov at five, Rosenstroy, Dawkins. So he's gonna go way up. Uh, I think Blades has a fight coming up. I don't remember against who. Um, I believe Volkov has a fight coming up. But we, we still don't know what's up with Stipe Miocic. But he's he's going to be fighting somebody in the another guy like top top shelf. I don't think this will get him a title shot. We don't even know what the title situation is at the moment. That's uh, that's a bit of a <laughs> bit of a conundrum. We there's a lot of kind of opacity right there at the moment. But uh, that's a it's a big big win for Ty Tuivasa. Sad loss for Derek Lewis. Man, he he has just. He's had a couple of key setbacks, and I don't know that he's ever going to get over that particular hump. I mean, it doesn't help that his fight with Francis Ngannou was just awful. And when he fought Gaon, he just got blown out of the water. Uh, but so, good win for Tuivasa. He's fighting. He's going to be fighting somebody else right at the top of the division next. And I am very curious to see what his... Uh, what his ceiling is. Uh, middleweight. 
Jared Cannonier knocked out Derek Brunson with uh, elbows. 429 of the second. Yeesh. That finish, man. Um, first round, Derek Brunson's. Uh, very easily. Uh, Brunson fighting Southpaw, Orthodox for Cannonier. Brunson was able to get his wrestling game going. Um, Cannonier did a good job of making him continue to work for it, but he got taken down. He got a, uh, towards the end of the round, he got uh, taken down off of a kick. He got his back taken. There was a neck crank. It wasn't really a, close to being a choke, but that did not look comfortable. Um, Brunson had a couple of good left hands, too. He's pretty good about that. People are so concerned about his takedown that he's able to just step like he's going to and then fire the left. Um, things went started going downhill for him in the second fairly quickly. Um, this went unnoticed in real time by the broadcast. I think Michael Bisbing caught it a little bit after the fact, but um, Brunson comes out, looks a little bit slower. Cannoneer just kind of keeps chipping away at him a little bit. Then he uh, he stuffs a takedown. They wind up in the clinch, and as they're breaking the clinch, Cannoneer hits Brunson with a right hand. And it's a short right hook. And Brunson doesn't go down or anything, but he gets he gets tagged. And immediately, you can see the change in Derek Brunson. He stops coming forward as much. He's a bit more hesitant. He starts reaching for the legs rather than driving through. And I, guess I think Bisbing saw it, uh, saw a highlight of it on one of his you know, broadcast cameras after the fact. Because he, I think he brought it up. Uh, I saw it in real time. He's like, oh, buddy. That's, that's when everything started changing. You know, Brunson just kind of exiting the clinch. Didn't quite have his hands up and Cannonier popped him. Um, everything about Brunson's attitude and his posture changed after that. Cannonier was stalking him down, hit him a few times. Things really went south. Uh, obviously, he was finished in this round, but kind of towards the around the four-minute mark, um, want to say he hit him again with a right hand, breaking a clinch. Might have been an elbow. Um, Brunson gets wobbly. Cannonier jumps on him, uh, pushes him over into half guard, and just elbows his head through the mat. Um, could have been a slightly quicker and more emphatic stoppage from the ref here. Credit to Derek Brunson's corner. They threw in the towel. Um, I think that Brunson was out of it. Again, there was that first punch where everything started going south. There was another exchange where Brunson wasn't there anymore. Like, I don't mean unconscious, but he took a couple of, he took an elbow or a punch or both. And everything he did after the fa after that, this was not too far before the finish, was a lot slower, and he had that vacant look in his eyes. Uh, he was operating purely on instinct and reached for a takedown, got pushed over, and got put to sleep. Uh, so credit to his corner for being for trying to stop that. I'm going to just throw this out there. I think MMA needs a better mechanism for corners stopping fights. Um, boxing In boxing, throwing in the towel, I don't know if it's a little bit easier to see or if there's just such a history of it that 
referees are a bit more trained about it. Um, you, one of your cornermen getting up on the uh, the ring apron and just chucking the towel in. Uh, it, it first of all, it doesn't happen enough in MMA as a general rule. Also, I don't know the the white towel on the you know gray canvas might be harder to see. Um, the referee is not as trained to potentially catch your line of sight. There's a lot of production people walking around the uh, the, the position outside the cage. So I I, I want to say um, Nate Marquardt's coach might have been Trevor Whitman at the time. I'd have to double check that, so don't quote me. But his coach, when he fought Kelvin Gastelum. Um, was trying to stop the fight in the second round, and I think his line was, you know, they were told by production crew not to get up on the, not to get up onto that place, that you know, walkway around the cage because they, uh, you know, they were obstructing people's view, and he's trying to stop the fight. I think they need a better mechanism. I don't know what it would be. Um, I don't know if it's feasible to do something like you, know, you have a button. Uh, and if the coach presses it, a flashing light goes off that's in their corner, and the referee then stops the fight because he sees the light go off. Uh, I, I don't know. Again, that might be just too much of an engineering hassle. I, But I think MMA needs a better mechanism than the literal throwing of a towel. Just my opinion. Uh, as, far as, as far as the result, again, Jared Cannonier is just... That guy is a handful. He is physically a beast. That guy used to fight at heavyweight. And him cutting down to middleweight, um, he is strong as an ox, man. He's got serious power and a commitment to the fight. Uh, he's a little bit slow to get going, drops a lot of first rounds. But once he kind of gets rolling downhill, I mean, he won't be deterred. Like, rewatch the fight between him and Whitaker. First two rounds, Whitaker kind of beats the crap out of him. I mean, not to the you know, not for ten eights or the point where the fight should have been stopped, but that was that was kind of one-way traffic. He gets dropped in the third round and then still rallies to kind of hurt Whitaker late. Like that guy just you want to. You want him out of there, you have to put him out of there. Uh, he is a... He is a handful, to put it mildly. Um, he cut a great post-fight promo. Uh, really good promo, actually. Called for the next title fight. With Adesanya retaining, I think that is the most likely uh, next fight. So, it's a good fight. It's a really good fight in some respects. I look forward to seeing it. So, it's for Brunson. Uh, man, that's rough. He's 38. Yeah, he's 38. I mean, not like Cannoneer is some chicken, some spring chicken. He's 37 and turns 38 in March. Cannoneer turned 30, er, and excuse me, Brunson turned 38 in January. So, but, uh, whew. He's. I don't know how much longer he's gonna he's gonna be around. You know, I mean, he's been fighting for a while. Yeah, debuted in 2010. Spent a lot of that in either Strike Force or the UFC. 
he's had some he's had some rough losses. He's had some really rough losses along the way. Uh, I don't know if he, he had mentioned before that his plan was to like win here, beat Adesanya, and then retire. I think so. I don't know. I don't know how much. I don't know how much longer we're gonna. He's gonna be around, but that you know that certainly remains to be seen. So. Uh, yeah, brutal, brutal finish. Uh, let's see. Lightweight. Hanato Moicano defeated Alexander Hernandez via rear naked choke. 123 of the second. Watching Moicano at lightweight, man, I don't know how that guy made featherweight, but he did pretty consistently. Uh, this one was a little bit back and forth. Um, at first, Moicano, sharp boxing. After the first time he went for a takedown, kind of got it. Hernandez wall walked quickly. After that first kind of grappling exchange and whatnot, he seemed to slow down a bit. Uh, Hernandez upped the pace a little bit towards the end of that round, and I thought that kind of helped, that kind of served him better. Hernandez was doing some switching between southpaw and orthodox, and it worked okay at first. He'd go southpaw and then throw a body kick and a combination and then kind of you know, keep the pace high. But about the second or third time he tried that, Moicano got a read on his southpaw stance and started catching him with a right hand that really unsettled things. Uh, finish in the second... Fighting in the clinch, uh, Moicano tried a right uppercut left hook. The uppercut didn't really land. The left hook partially did. Then he followed with a right hand. Connected another right hand and like a third against the fence. Dropped him and then just like lightning on the back. Got the choke. Dunzo. Uh, Moicano's a handful. Um, I don't know exactly who he should fight next, but... Has he lost a lightweight? Yeah, he lost a Fiziv, but that's it. I mean, that guy's only lost in his, in, in his entire career. Got choked out by Brian Ortega in the third round. Uh, that fight was a war, man. Um, those two beat the crap out of each other. And Moicano was... I think I had it one round apiece going into the third, but things were kind of starting to go in Moicano's direction before he got tagged and then caught in that guillotine then jose aldo who okay jose aldo kind of gave him the business <laughs> then he got stopped by the korean zombie uh, they had a pretty good first round but man when the zombie went in that second then since moving to lightweight he's only lost to fazeev uh i mean if those are your only losses it's a pretty darn good career. Um, he cut a pretty decent babyface promo after the fact. Uh, you know, uh, he, I don't know the full story here, so I want to be careful about this. I am referencing what he said. One of his coaches, uh, he says, is in a, uh, I believe some kind of Olympic medalist or some, some noted... Um, you know, sport, uh, combat sports guy in uh, representing Brazil. Uh, I forget what sport. This would have been. Uh, forgive me, I forget. He didn't. I don't think he specified. But that the that no one in Brazil cared about the tradition of sport, uh, and that he was happy to be here in America where they do, where they support their athletes. 
He was, he's raising his kids as Americans. Partially because of that, he was happy to be in Texas. And because Texans, like everything bigger, he wanted a big check. Uh, for a guy still learning English in a lot of respects, not the worst promo in the world. He did not get a post-fight bonus, which I thought was unfortunate. Uh, that said, man, bonuses were hard to come by. Those were a little bit hard to come by on this night. There were some, there was some gnarly stuff. Um, solid win for Moicano. Should fight someone probably in or around the top 15. A quick look at lightweight. Uh, throw him in there with, you know, Diego Fajaya, Brad Riddell, or Armin Saryuki, and that's numbers, uh, 13 through 15 in reverse order. So 13 is Saryuki and 14 is Riddell, 15 is Fajaya. Um, I think any of those guys, uh, he's, Moicano's got the goods. He, he really does. Uh, and kicking off the main card also at lightweight, Bobby Green defeated Nasrat Hakparas for unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. Uh, phenomenal performance from Bobby Green, man. He, it has been... Really, I remember, yeah, I'm, I've, I've said this before, man, there's people who've been around MMA longer than me, but I've been around longer than most at this point. Uh, I remember, like, early in his kind of career, I mean, we're talking, like, not even, I've watched a few of his that were not even, like, his strike force days, like, before that, even. Uh... I mean, he was fighting in, like, King of the Cage and Tachi Palace fighting. Uh, and he was go... Uh, he was on the... He was on one of the Affliction cards, right? Yeah, yeah, which would be Dan Lozon. He lost, actually, sorry. Uh, back in 2009, Dave Reckoning was their second event, I want to say. Yeah, it was Fedor and Arlovsky. I remember... I watched that card. I remember that card. God, I'm old. Uh... <laughs> But I remember when he was, you know, hood style, Bobby Green. And seeing over the last couple of fights, him really have found, like, he's really found himself over the last, you know, two years, give or take. Right, like, starting in 2010 or so, he's really found himself. Uh, and it's been kind of a joy to watch. You know, he had a pretty good run at one point. He lost his Strike Force debut. And then went undefeated until he fought uh, Edson Barboza in 2014. So lost his strike force debut to Josias Cavalcante, good old JC. JZ. Um, then won all of his other strike force fights. These uh, two of these were challengers. Then a couple of proper ones. Then he beat Jacob Volkman. He beat James Krause. That was a wonky call a little bit on that. It was a TKO finish, but. Uh, just a little bit wonky. Beat Pat Healy, beat Josh Thompson. Then he had this bad stretch where he lost to Barboza, got stopped by Poirier, lost to Rashid Magomedov, fought to a draw with Venata. Uh, but the last little bit, man. He's still got a couple of losses peppered in there to Thiago Moises and Rafael Fiziev, but, I mean, he put it on Fiziev in that third round of their fight. His last two fights, you know, knocking out Ayaquinta the way he did, and then this performance here just... 
kept his jab working, caught, got through the guard of Hackparast pretty pretty consistently. Hackparast had a, a high guard working. A little bit surprised there wasn't more body work from Green, but uh, I don't know. He might have had a read that I didn't. Uh, just really, really exceptional performance out of Bobby Green. John, a uh, nice post-fight promo as well. John Anik on the broadcast, and you know, can we get Bobby Green to main event a, a fight night? You know, considering next week is main evented by Johnny Walker and Jamal Hill, yes. Let's get Bob. The crowd. It, this is another thing about Bobby Green, man. The crowd gave him was fully behind Bobby Green for this one. Uh, his kind of emergence over his last few fights as someone that the crowd is really behind as well. Like that's a little bit heartwarming to see. Um, yeah, give him a main event, man. But let's give him, I don't know who, again, someone kind of, uh, I don't know, full top 15, but someone in that space. Give that, some fight night, let him main event. No reason not to. You're letting Johnny Walker and Jamal, I know that wasn't the original one, but you let, um, oh, what was that awful one in October? You let, like, Aspen Ladd and, um, uh, who did you lose to? Hang on, let me let me find some of these. You let Mackenzie Dern and Marina Rodriguez main event. You let uh, Dumont. You let Norm. Uh, you again, Aspen Ladd and Norma Dumont main event uh, fight night. Uh, this is gonna sound more dismissive than it's meant to be. I am not trying to disparage this fighter at all. But if you have a fight night headline by Anthony Smith and Ryan Spann, I think we can pretty easily have a fight night headline by Bobby Green. Yeah? And again, to be clear about that Smith and Spann fight, much better fight uh, on paper than again, a bunch of the other ones from October. Man, October of last year was just death. That was, Sa that was Tiago Santos and Johnny Walker, Mackenzie Dern and Marina Rodriguez, Norma... Norma Dumont and Aspen Ladd, and then Paulo Costa and Marvin Vittori. Okay, Costa and Vittori was decent, but man, yeah, that was a rough month. That was a really rough month. And we've, we've just, there are enough fight nights that you can easily have one headline by Bobby Green. Easily. That was your main card. As for the prelims, Andre Arlovsky defeated Jared Vandera via split decision. One, this shouldn't have been split. I'm not up in arms over it, but it should not have been split. The judge in question, I'll yell about him in a second. Um, this was every Andre Arlovsky fight over the last, like, two years. Which is to say the following. Andre Arlovsky... Andrei Arlovsky debuted as a professional fighter in April of 1999. I was not even in high school. I graduated in 04. I was in like 8th grade when this guy debuted. Became a became a UFC heavyweight champion and is still this guy had wars with you know 
Tim, I can't say wars with Tim Sylvia, but you know Pedro Hizo and oh, who's the other guy he lost to uh, early in his UFC run? Uh, Rico Rodriguez, yeah. And he, uh, again, fought Tim Sylvia. He, this guy just how many of those guys? If we look at his first UFC run, he debuts for the UFC in 2000, November. Beats Aaron Brink. Loses to Rodriguez. Loses to Hizzo. Both of them are long retired at this point. Right? Rodriguez retired. Um, his last fight was in... Oh, jeez. He fought in 19. What the hell is he doing? Uh... That's just sad. Uh, so he's... Yeah, again, that's just a sad thing. Um, uh, Hizzo, he retired in 2015. I mean, even his fight in 15... He, reti he actually retired in 13... Came out of retirement for one fight in 15 and has been again, happily retired since. Ian Freeman, Vladimir Matyushenko, Cabbage Kohea, uh, Tim Sylvia. Sylvia's been retired for a long... How long has Tim Sylvia been retired for? Hang on. His last fight... Yeah, in 13... In 2013. So, you know. Only nine years. That his primary rival for the heavyweight title back in the early 2000s was has been retired. And here's frickin' Andre Arlovsky in 2022, 5-1 in his last six fights, only losing to Tom Aspinall. <laughs> what in the world can you say about that? This is a guy who suffered multiple stretches where he lost... A lot of fights in a row, and a lot of them bad. And just found some way to tweak his game. And kept going. And kept going and kept going. And here he is now, and... Look, are any of these guys he's beaten in this last stretch world... He's beaten Felipe Lins, Tanner Bozer, Chase Sherman, Carlos Felipe, and Jared Vandera. Are those guys world beaters? No. Not even close. But... If he were as washed up and over the hill as he maybe should be by all logic, he wouldn't be winning. He's figured out a way to make these people fight the way he wants to fight, and he wins those fights. Uh, I thought Vandera had a better third... Again, the fight wasn't great. I thought Vandera had a decent third round. Uh, but yeah, the judges score that's for him, man. I'm, I'm going to move on to yell, so I can yell about that guy proper. But under Olofsky, still racking up the wins. <laughs> Uh, next up, women's flyweight. Casey O'Neill defeated Roxanne Mataferi via split decision. God help. 29-28. So one for Mataferi, two for O'Neill. Um, it was 30-27 O'Neill doing this live. Eh, I'm not sure I stand by that completely. I, If you give Roxanne one round, um, 
would probably be the third, I think. Uh, even that I'm not sold on. So I, I, I would have to look up the scorecards in particular, So I, and I have it, I apologize. But there was one round, I can't remember which one, that I think reasonably could have gone to Modafferi. The other two, not so much. And I actually think... I think my 30-27 for O'Neal is more defensible than 29-28 for Modafferi. Straight up. Um, the fight itself was not great. It was a lot of what happens when you see a lot of women striking in MMA. They clash and throw punches, back up, reset, and then do the same combination. It's... Jack Slack said this about a lot of women's fights, and I can't unsee it because it's true. If you, they fight like they're working with a, a, a pad man, like someone's holding pads for them. They come in, they throw the same combination, they back off to that same, it's the same distance. Like you step off to where you would be if you're working pads, step back in, throw the same combination, rinse and repeat. It's a lot of that. Now, that might seem like it's a bit dismissive. That's more about the pattern. Um, I, I give both women credit. They both threw a lot of punches. They both ate punches. They were game the entire fight. I am not trying to demean anything about that other than the repetition. Um, the judge who scored this for Modafferi is a gentleman by the name of Robert Alexander, who also was responsible for the dissenting scorecard in the Arlovsky and Jared Vandera fight. Never hire this man again. Like, just don't do it. That's, I don't know why Sal D'Amato keeps getting hired at this point. I think he has tenure. Like, they just can't get rid of him until he voluntarily steps down. There's some clause in his contract, because that's the only reason that waste of space should still be judging fights. But this, like, this is indefensible. This is utterly ridiculous. The, it is rare. Let me tell you how bad that scorecard is. It is rare that the UFC comment, the broadcast, will bury a judge by name the, at all. Like, they might disagree, but it's rare that it's this wrong. You get people like me who think that these things are just terrible because... I'm talking to you on a podcast. I'm not part of a professional broadcast for the promotion. Because if you're doing that again, you, things have to... I wouldn't say... a Put it this way. If I were broadcasting on a, a on a television broadcast, there's a bunch of stuff that I say in this format that I wouldn't say there. This is true of everyone who does something like this and something like that. You know, Joe Rogan does not talk about the same things and in the same way on his podcast that he does about when he's on the broadcast. Ditto Michael Bisbing on his on his podcast or on the the UFC broadcast. Like, this is common. The style is different. The audience is different, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So when the, when the UFC broadcast goes on a bit of a, like, for the next, like, they buried him after this fight. They buried him during the next fight. And even during the Bobby Green and Nazareth Hackparast fight, Daniel Cormier made a joke that that one judge has these all for Hackparast 10-8. When you screw up that badly that the UFC broadcast team 
is perpetually burying you for two more fights worth of broadcast time, boy, did you screw up. Um, this was the last fight in Modafferi's career. She retired. Um, and setting aside the judging stupidity. Uh, Roxanne Modafferi is one of the few genuinely like great people in MMA. You don't find anybody that really has a bad thing to say about Roxanne Modafferi. She's always been a happy presence. She's always been uh, you know, a fun, joyous spirit. If you want to call something like, if you want to call it that, like, she's been one of the good people. And I mean, she's she debuted in 2003, and she fought in. Some of the, she did a lot of work for Invicta. Uh, she had one fight in the UFC at one point, lost, got cut again, went through Invicta, came back to the UFC, and that's where she ended her career. But if you look at her earliest stuff, man, she's fighting on things like Smack Girl. Uh, uh, she fought in, uh, oh gosh, she was in like a Bodog card. Yeah, in Japan, uh, she was. She did a lot of fights in Japan. She lived there. She was an interpreter uh, in Japan at some at one point. Um, she fought. She fought everybody too, man. She fought Marlos Kunin. She fought Shayna Baszler. She fought Cal um, Pennington. I, I could go through her. Uh, she fought. Oh, Hitomi Akano. That was a rough fight. She fought Barb. Uh, Barb Honchak when Barb was kind of on top of the world. Uh, she got knocked out by Sarah Kaufman via slam. I remember that. I remember that pretty vividly, actually. Uh, it was a pretty gnarly slam. Is uh, she was willing to fight anyone and everyone, and I've <laughs> been doing it for, like I said, since 2003. So not quite 20 years. Uh, that's. Uh, again, a heck of a career for her. She, she's one of those people in this sport who suffered through the times when there was no real weight classes for women. It was just kind of a bunch of catchweight stuff, and, there, and there, nothing was really organized properly. And it was just fighting to try and get a degree of recognition and acknowledgement that women can do this and that there's a market for this. And I, I've said this before about pioneers, man. Um, you know, a lot of them died. When when you choose to pioneer something, that's rough. And she's one of the people who just made that conscious choice that I'm going to, this is going to be hard, but I'm going to do this. And the, the sport is a better place for it. Uh, she, <laughs> she's done a lot uh, of fair amount of like uh cosplay related to anime characters and whatnot when for her weigh-ins and stuff like that just you know to play with the crowd but it was in and she talked about this a little bit at her you know post fight thing you know why she she chose to dress up as all might mostly the hair piece for this one uh if you're not familiar with my hero academia i'll just very uh, i'll kind of quote uh, her summation here but she didn't do him in his um his two forms uh 
he's a superhero in that universe. And one of them is big and bulky and the all-powerful, the greatest superhero in the world. And he's been injured at, uh, in, one of a, in a previous fight and now can only hold that form for a short period of time when we meet him. And the rest of the time, he's this scrawny kind of skeletal figure. And that's just kind of what his form has reverted to as he's trying to process uh, the damage he's taken from his nemesis. And near the... I forget exactly when it happens, but he... She comes out with that hair... With that wig, that hairstyle. uh, Because he, at some point in the show... I'm not going to spoil exactly when or where in case you feel inclined to watch slash read... Um, he finally uses up all of his power and is left with that form. And he uh, passes on, you know, his legacy and his abilities and his powers to the next generation of heroes. And that's kind of what she felt like coming into this. And it was, uh, you know, uh, a nice thing that she did. You know, Roxanne's, uh, she's always been, again, a really kind of happy person to kind of, be around and talk about in the sport. Um, moving on from that, Casey O'Neill is, uh, that woman might be a, a, a serious player at flyweight. She's undefeated right now. She has stopped all of her previous UFC opponents. Uh, she's still got some things to refine, but that's a, she has a fair amount of ability and a willingness to fight. Uh, I'm not, Man, it's so hard to kind of predict someone accomplishing a whole lot at flyweight because of Valentina Shevchenko. <laughs> but O'Neal has a lot of ability. Uh, bantamweight Kyler Phillips submitted uh, Marcelo Rojo with a triangle armbar, 148 of the third. Uh, good fight. Kyler Phillips is pretty legit. Um, this was a really nice finish. He He got Rojo down, got on top in full mount, moved to the... Mounted triangle, rolled for the triangle, started losing that, so he switched to the armbar. Got the tap. Uh, Phillips is legit. This was a pretty good fight. Uh, a not good fight was your next one at light heavyweight. Carlos Olberg defeated Fabio Charant via unanimous decision, 30-27. This fight sucked. I don't have anything else to say about it. That was your ESPN. was your metal prelims, your early prelims. Uh, Ronnie Lawrence defeated Mana Martinez via unanimous decision, 229-27s, 12928. Um This fight was a little bit crazy, and it followed not too far on the heels of another crazy fight that we'll talk about in a second. Um, Lawrence wins the first two rounds handily, 10-8 in the second, me included. Third round, things are still going his way, and then Martinez drops him with a spinning back fist. Hits him with a right hand, badly hurts him, and Lawrence Lawrence is able to hang on. But we were one fight removed from a crazy comeback as well, and we almost had another one. Dude, the bantamweights, there were three bantamweight fights on this card. You had Phillips and Rojo, Lawrence and Martinez here, and then Douglas Silva, Dan Andraj, and Sergei Morozov, which we'll get to in a second. All of them. All of them brought the heat. Bantamweight's a great division. Um, middleweight Jacob Malkoon defeated AJ Dobson via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. Malkoon uh, had a rough first round, but his wrestling just kind of took over the longer the fight went on. Uh, not a whole lot to say there. 
Uh, Bantamweight, Douglas Silva de Andrade defeated Sergei Morozov via rear naked choke. Technical submission put him to sleep. Morozov beat up de Andrade, Silva de Andrade in the first round. I mean, landed on him, dropped him, got on top, caught him with elbows, beat the crap out of him. Second round, Douglas Silva de Andrade starts landing in return. He's firing a left hook to the body and then a right overhead. It's a fairly classic combination. Catches him, hurts him, uh, hurts him again, smothers a takedown, gets the back. Uh, this was a wild fight. This was your fight of the night. Absolutely deserved. Look this up if you missed it. Great fight. Uh, crazy comeback from DeAndrage. Um, Morozov, I still think, has a fair amount of upside. Uh, unfortunately, he's now 1-2 and two in the UFC. Uh, losses to Umar Nurmagomedov and then Douglas Silva Dandraj here. Uh, he's a good fighter, but he's really got to smooth things out. Uh, we'll see what happens next for him. Welterweight Jeremiah Wells defeated Mike Mathetha, better known as Blood Diamond, via rear naked choke. Another technical submission for 38 of the first. Um, weird fight. Wells came out and tried to like jog around the perimeter of the cage, and he slipped like he got his foot stuck a little bit kind of towards the fence and tripped Mathetha jumped on him they wound up clinched and then the wrestling of Wells took over and he was able to get him eventually that's the, the far superior grappler and a technically at heavyweight uh, Maxime Grishin defeated William Knight for unanimous decision 30-27 across the boards not a whole lot here Knight didn't do much Grishin did Enough to win. I don't mean to disparage that, but you know, nothing highlight-worthy or noteworthy here. Uh, the only thing noteworthy about this fight is William Knight, who I'm going to give him a minor bit of credit. He took this fight on very short on, on short notice. Um, he took this fight like January 28th or something when uh, Ed Herman fell out. And he weighed in officially... For a light heavyweight fight at 218 pounds. Now, Grishin weighed 206, which let them just bump it up to heavyweight because technically speaking, 206 is a miss. They just give you a pound for non-title fights for reasons. I genuinely don't know. But light heavyweight is 186 to 205. So Grishin weighing in at 206, like, okay, fine, we'll just make it heavyweight. But 12 to 13 pounds, depending on how you want to feel about that, is the largest single weight miss in UFC history. Um, I, as I said, I will give the man a bit of an asterisk for the late notice, but dude, if you can't make the weight, don't sign for the fight at the weight. Not that hard. Uh... Uh, yeah. All right. So that was UFC 271. Um, if you didn't see everything or you only saw some or you're just listening to me and deciding what you want to watch. If you're a fight nerd like me, main event was really good. Uh, Tuivasa and Lewis was a good fight. The, you know, the entire main card delivered. Just throw it. The main event wasn't a barn burner, but it did not fall flat. People didn't like the decision, and I certainly get that Whitaker came on strong in the fifth, but 
The rest of it, yeah. Main card, absolutely delivered. As far as the prelims, um, all the bantamweight fights, definitely look up. Uh, then... Yeah, that would kind of be my limits on recommendations there. I mean, O'Neal and Modafferi was not a bad fight at all, so maybe maybe throw that one in there too. But yeah, that's where that lands. Okay, let's let us move on. So sorry, before I move on, thank you to everyone who followed along with my live coverage. I know there were at least a few of you. I deeply appreciate you guys. To anyone who read after the fact. Uh, it's up in the MMA zone of 411mania.com, so give it a read if you are so inclined. All right, this preview should not take long. There's not a whole lot to discuss about UFC on ESPN Plus 58. Our main event was supposed to be Rafael Dos Anjos and Rafael Faziv. Great fight. There were some visa delays for Faziv, so that got bumped to UFC 272. It will be your co-main event. It will still be five rounds, so that's your co-main to the fight between Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal. As for this card... Uh, yeah, this is not going to take long. <laughs> main event, Johnny Walker, Jamal Hill. Not a great main event. In fact, it's pretty poor. Uh, Jamal Hill has only got one loss in the UFC. He was stopped by Paul Craig. He was last seen knocking out Jimmy Crute. He's got ability. He's a long... A guy, especially for light heavyweight, again, tall, long, he's a big guy. Johnny Walker is not a small man either. Um, he goes about 6'5". So two big boys here. Um, unfortunately for Walker, he's just 1-3 in, in his last four. He's kind of been figured out in the UFC. Like he came in like a house of fire. You're knocking out Khalil Roundtree, Justin Ledette, and Misha Serkinov, and then people kind of figured him out. Um, this has been a bit of his, kind of the book on him. He's, he's not easy to get a handle on, but once you start seeing some of his, uh, habits, and especially, he's a li he just, you can pick out some of his defensive deficiencies. Um, this is a, I don't know, like, Jamal Hill has ability, but he's still something of an unknown, Walker's just kind of a wild man, so this could legitimately go either way. My inclination would be to go with Hill, just just an inclination. Um, but yeah, that is your new main event, so we'll have to wait and see. Uh, let's see, co-main event, Kyle Dawkus and Jamie Pickett. Why is this at catch weight? What changed here? Ah, this was supposed to be Julian Marquez and Kyle Dawkus. It's actually a pretty good fight. Um, anyway, Marquez had to pull out, so Pickett steps in on short notice. We bump it up to 195 out of consideration for that. Pickett on a two-fight winning streak. He's 2-2 two two overall in the UFC. Kyle Dawkins, um, not have a great record in the UFC. He had that fight with Kevin Holland that, uh, got changed to a no contest. Hmm. I'm probably gonna lean. I'm gonna lean towards Dawkins here. Might be a mistake. Uh, heavyweights: Parker Porter and Alan Badeau. Badot. Um. Yeah, it's, this is crappy heavyweights. I mean, what do you want me to say? 
I'm going to pick Porter, but... I mean, he's won his last two fights. That's fought in the UFC before. Hang on, I know because I've typed out his name. Um, give me just a second. Yeah, he uh, he fights out of France. Yeah, he's um. Why was that changed to a no contest? So he lost to Tom Aspinall. That I remember. Then he had a no contest with Rodrigo Nascimento. Um, why did that change to a no contest? That was originally a straight like TKO. Um, I do that. That was the Makashev and Moises card. Just a sec, and I will find out fairly recently. Where are you? Oh, yeah, Nascimento originally won that fight. Um, that was changed after he tested positive for Ritalinic Acid, which is a metabolite for... Uh, some substance that is banned, I guess. So I'm not I'm not going to do a deep dive on the specifics of that at the moment. Uh, makes it real easy to pick Porter. Jim Miller going for UFC fight number 39. He's going to get to 40. Uh, he's fighting Nicholas Mata. Uh, I could make a bad pun about his last name, but I'm not going to because I am better than that. I'm really not. I, I shouldn't lie to, the, to you all like that. I'm really not, but uh, I'm going to restrain myself. Um, Mata coming in on a three-fight winning streak. Been trying to make his debut for almost a year. Um, I I've said this before. At this point, you know, I don't pick against Jim Miller because my heart won't let me. Uh, I don't really expect him to win here, but he's. Freaking Jim Miller, man. What do you want me to say? I've been watching that guy forever. I mean, for crying out loud, I actually watched his... Um, he had one fight in the IFL, which is an organization I did follow what, during its lifetime. Uh, he beat Bart Palaszewski in 2008. That was before his UFC debut. I watched that fight. I've been watching this guy for a long time. I love me some Jim Miller. I pick him sentimentally... And I acknowledge that it is essentially just sentimentality at this point. So, War Jim Miller. Middleweight, Joaquin Buckley and Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. That, that's either going to suck and feature a ton of clinching or somebody's going to sleep. Um, think I'm going to go with Buckley. And Al-Hassan. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, this is our fun, this is our fun little bit, um, because Buckley, not long after he knocked out Impa Kasongani, was knocked out via head kick by Alessio DiCirico, who was then head kick knocked out by Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, <laughs> so we're getting our little circle here, um, I'm gonna, I'm still gonna lean Buckley, but. That one, that one could be violent. That one has has a bit of potential there on the old violence front. Uh, let's see. That's our main card. As for the prelims, uh, Mario Bautista versus Khalid Taha. I feel okay picking Bautista there. 
featherweight Gabriel Benitez and David Onama. Benitez. Um, Onama, I think, is filling in here. Might be wrong about that. Uh, I, I feel I feel confident picking Benitez there. Women's bantamweight Stephanie Egger and Jessica Rose Clark. Hmm. A little bit closer than you might think. Um, Egger's been out of action. No, I'm sorry. Uh, she fought Shauna Young. Whereas Jessica, whereas Clark, won her last two. Uh, I'm gonna go with Clark there, but uh, again, a little bit iffy. Uh, close fight. Featherweight: Chaz Skelly and Mark Stiegel. Skelly done lately. Beat Jordan Griffin. He's been out for a while. His last fight was September of 19. Fairly significant layoff. A real significant layoff. Jeez. That's... He's north of two years. I mean, he... Uh, okay, some of that... Some of that's a little bit exaggerated because he was supposed to fight Jamal Emmers in February of last year. He made it to the cage and then Emmers... Couldn't make it to the cage. They actually had to call that off while Skelly was in the ring. I remember that. Um, I'm going to go with Skelly here. Women's strawweight, Deanna Belbicha and Gloria DePaula. Um, Belbicha coming off a win. One and two in the UFC, though. Uh, whereas DePaula is five and four overall. He's gone 0 and 2 in the UFC. Lost to Jinyu Fry and Cheyenne Vlismas. It's kind of win or go home. It's a rough one. That's a rough one to pick. I don't know. Flip a coin. In fact, I'm going to flip a coin. Heads, Belbita. Tails, Paula. That's how we'll do this. Tails. So, Brazil over Romania. I don't know. And kicking everything off at the moment. Bantamweights, Chad Engelar and Jesse Strader. Um, let me find... Did that get moved? Or is this list inaccurate? Uh, yeah, I can't actually find that. Hmm. Well, in the absence of being able to double-check either of their records... Um, we have another quick look through topology real fast. I don't see that at all. Did that get canceled or something? Huh. Nope, I don't see that. So I will take a shot in the dark. And go with Strader, because his last name is easier to type out. Literally, my criteria, do not bet on that fight based on that analysis. Alright. Uh, let's check through Twitter very quickly. And I'm going to check the... Um, see if anyone has any questions for either my question tweet or the Facebook post. And see if any news is broken. If not, we will do plugs and get out of here.
All right, nothing crazy. So, plugs. Last week, what day last week? Uh, there was a damn you Hollywood for Moonfall. Mark Radlich and I discussed that. Ooh, uh, that turkey. So you can listen to that. This week there will be a damn you Hollywood. That's a kind of dual feature. We'll be talking about two streaming movies. Kimmy, currently available on HBO Max from Steven Soderbergh, and Big Bug on Netflix, which I will be watching later tonight, I guess. I've watched Kimmy, and I have thoughts. Most of them not good. Uh, yeesh, that movie. But if you want my full thoughts, tune into Damn You Hollywood uh, on whatever your podcasting platform of choice happens to be. It's part of the W2M network. Give us a listen over there. Again, Mark and I are going to be talking about that. I think it's just the two of us this time. Yeah. So we'll break up. We'll talk about both of those movies because we enjoy doing so. Um, what else do I have this week? My usual spate of professional wrestling coverage. AW's Dark Elevation on Monday. Whatever MLW is doing on Thursday. Uh, they, I think, went back to Wednesday soon. I don't know. I have to double check that. I know they, they went back to the Fusion brand after the Azteca one. Thursdays might have been a more permanent move anyway. Who knows? Whatever they're doing, I'll be covering it. And WWE SmackDown on Friday. Last episode wasn't all that great. Better than two weeks ago, which was, God, it was awful. Um, they wound up, they wound up taping both episodes of uh, SmackDown at this last setting because the, their Elimination Chamber event is Saturday and they didn't want their talent from SmackDown to have to do a live show and then fly to Saudi Arabia for a pay-per-view. Like, I, I completely understand that. Makes sense. But taped shows, not even against taped shows, just, I don't know. I've seen... I've seen the spoilers, so I know what's going to happen, and I'm just not enthused. The execution might change my mind. Full disclosure. And then, of course, the UFC event on Saturday. So tune in for that. That's available in either the Wrestling or MMA Zones of 411mania.com. I'll be back here next week for a review of UFC on ESPN Plus 58 and a preview of UFC on ESPN 59. God, I suck. Whatever. UFC and ESPN plus 59 is Walker versus Hill. I apologize if I've been saying that wrong. Uh, I know I have. I'm not going to change it. It's in there. Fine. Corrected at the end. UFC and ESPN plus 59, and we will be previewing UFC on ESPN plus 60, which has a great main event of Benil Daryush and Islam Makashev. Winner of this is your probable number one contender after Gaethje and Oliveira fight. So, great fight. How does that card look? Um, not... Armin Saryuki and Joel Alvarez is actually a really good fight. Petrosian and Rodriguez, no. Jurong uh, and Ignacio Bahamondes, that might be a little bit crazy. In the good way. Um, Okay. Not a whole lot to get too excited about. It's a better card than the one this week. So we'll have a full preview for that next week. Until then, I thank you all very, very much for listening. My name is Robert Winfrey once again. Please do engage with the product if you haven't already. Appreciate it. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.